My name is Moore Milo. And I'm Ralph Sainarelli. And this is the Market Today podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode here at the Market Today podcast. It's episode 149. And we are super excited because we're one short of episode 150. Uh, Massive milestone. Really, really exciting stuff. And with that being said, you know, we actually went back and looked into some of like the just the audience and the information that we've kind of been has been given to us through some of the platforms uh, that we're posting on and uh, we're truly amazed to see you know people coming back and you know people checking in with us and uh, a trend towards you guys liking our longer episodes so you know we're gonna try to do our best to continue to bring you guys nice long beefy episodes for you to listen to and, and to, you know check in with us and learn more about the market and learn more about the books that we're reading um, so thank you guys for that feedback and, and we're just super excited to be here um, and, you know, just so you guys all know, like we, we started this really as a tool for us to be accountable, to be able to read a book every single week and uh, make sure that we're, we're just digesting as much knowledge as we possibly can to be the best operators in the world and, and the happiest people that we can be. Um, and, and we're just so excited to share all that with you guys. It's been a life-changing experience and we continue to read our books and come back every single week and talk about them and learn new things and, and, and share them with you guys. And it's just, we're extremely grateful for your ears and for your hearts. And yeah, there's nothing more that I can say that would even start to truly get the point across of how much we care and enjoy you guys and love you guys for for being with us. Um, so for those of you that might be new to this episode, uh, what we do here every single week is we read a book a week, usually having to do with business, psychology, something that's going to further us in our lives, a nonfiction book of some format. And we give you guys our, our rundown on whether we like the book, whether it was valuable, whether you should pick it up off the shelf, or whether you should just leave it where it's at. And in addition to that, obviously, with the name Market Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the markets, what's happening in the world of finance, and uh, you know, different vehicles that might be available to, uh, to you to just consider as opportunities for growth financially in your life and, and just news to, to be aware of what's happening in the world. So with that being said, um, Ross, you know, we wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit today about just you know, how the, the, the real effects of day-to-day life with massive shifts financially and economically in the world, right? Like, for example, massive shift for me in my personal life, an example in my life. I'm a pretty pretty budgeted guy. I I take my time and I like, you know, I, I like to understand the data and, you know, I budget on a monthly basis a certain amount of money for fuel every month. And my certain amount of fuel, you know, my, my fuel budget is somewhere around three hundred to four hundred dollars, depending on whether I'm driving a lot. I actually drive a good amount, so it makes a whole lot of sense. My budget was so out of whack this month that I spent almost eight hundred dollars in fuel costs alone just doing my regular everyday driving, and you know that's a mixture, obviously, of what's happening in the in the world and uh, inflation, what we're seeing on a day to day basis. But overall, you know, these are things to really take into account, right? Food budgets, 
um, you know, how we're spending our money is really important. So Ross, I mean, is there a, is there anything in your budget that that you know you've seen things on a you know on the ground level, like really day to day, you know, you, you buy them at, in places. What have you seen anything that has really drastically changed in your life? You know, I would say the main one, and it's not an everyday thing, um, but rent. I mean, I'm sure you've kind of seen it as well. You know, my girlfriend and I are looking to kind of move out into a new place and everything is crazy. I mean, the, the prices of what they are now versus a year ago are just astronomical. You know, now, especially living in L.A., you know, you can get a one bedroom, one bath. It's like 600 square feet, 700 square feet, and they want $2,900. You know, it's it's astronomical. You go to a two bedroom, now you're in the 3000 range. It's It's just so expensive and... You know, you touched on it. Now we're in a time where gas is high, food is high, everything. Everything you touch is incredibly expensive. And it's like, how are you going to have money left over to, to live, to physically have a place to come home to that you can call your own? Um, so whether you're looking to buy or rent or whatever, it's just been insane how expensive things are. And it doesn't look like it's coming down anytime soon. I know we talked earlier, you know, your gas and things like that and how that's been affecting it, you know, but... Are there other other things that continue to throw your budget off? Like, you're a single guy that goes out. Thankfully, I, I don't have that. You know, it still costs me money, the price for two every time I go to get dinner, right? But, you know, for someone who's who's single and, and out there, like, it, it's just got to be astronomical because I feel like you're touching more things where restaurants and stores can blame supply chain, inflation, this and that, for why they're raising their prices astronomically. Well, it is. I mean, it's just it, it's it's mind blowing, you know. Even at things as little as like going and getting a drink somewhere, as getting is we're feeling it on at every level, at every venue. Everyone is currently feeling the the shift, and um, it's truly going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. For just, I don't know. I can only speak for the area that we live in, which is in Southern California, but. Um, you know, this is an area that's that's rather expensive. You know, it, it really is, and we're getting affected at a serious rate. Um, and I don't know when it's going to kind of cap. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see when it ends. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's just something to keep in mind, everybody. I, I think that being aware of your budget and being aware of what's coming together in the next couple years and where we're going to be economically, it's really important to take the time to, to budget for yourselves and, and just be aware of what's happening. Now, another interesting thing, cryptocurrencies and crypto projects. Ross, there's there's some news going around about, about uh, the crypto projects that are you know not making it and going insolvent. Yeah, so there's, you know, a few companies. It really all started a few weeks ago where Celsius, um, which if you don't know, it's it's a company you can put your money on there. They can hold it and you can earn interest on your currency. So if you have, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it can be, you can earn interest. Um, and they stopped withdrawals and transfers. They halted it. Um, and that led a lot of people to realize that this company might actually be going insolvent. Um, and that's pretty much where they're at. They're looking to get bailed out by BlockFi, which is another company, very similar state. Um, but there's also rumors that they're in trouble. So right now, the big guy on the block is um, FTX looking to kind of bail everybody out. But yeah, it's it's a really crazy time. I mean, I, I have thankfully only one of my assets on Celsius, so I'm not the most worried. 
most of my money was elsewhere, but I pulled all my money off of all of these different exchanges um, and all these different softwares where you could earn interest. And I put them all in cold storage because, you know, now just like anything, you know, it's, it's, it's crypto winter. You don't really know what's going to happen. I don't want my money to get lost, especially not trying to earn three, 4% on my money. Why would I risk all of it? Um, so I pulled it off, you know, to keep it safe and, you know, whether you're in crypto or looking at other markets, I think if you're looking to invest right now or buy the dip, whatever you want to call it, you really got to take some time and do more research than normal. You really got to try to dive in there, see how the company's doing, see if they're, you know, are they earning a profit? Are they, how is their revenue? Is it up? Is their user acquisition up? You know, what do their numbers look like? And really dive into it because some companies will actually do fine when you go through recessions. Other ones, not as much. So I think it's really important to take more time in your investments to try to figure out what the best strategy for you is going forward. Yeah, I would agree. I agree entirely. Uh, it's truly scary what's happening. Now, here's a question for you. So you have taken everything off of the exchanges and into cold storage. Uh, are you concerned for the solvency of, you know, Coinbase and Binance and all the big big exchanges, or is it more have to, having to do with uh, you know, the smaller projects? Um, as far as the, like the software stuff like that, I'm not too worried. People will bail that out. There's too much institutional money, um, that someone will want to swoop this up. I think it was Goldman Sachs was rumored to want to buy one of these, um, one of the big companies. So there's money out there that will look to swoop up something like this on the cheap. Now, if you're looking at like projects or cryptocurrencies, um, I mean, we've been saying it since the beginning. If you want to take the risk and buy a coin that's ranked number 5,000, right? And it could shoot up overnight and you could become a millionaire overnight. Great. But those are not going to make it through these recessions. The ones that are going to make it are going to probably really mostly be Bitcoin, Ethereum, and maybe some of the few. And we'll dive into the book in a little bit. But the same way that the book talks about investing across, you know, 30 of some of the biggest companies in the U.S., same thing. Like, you know, my strategy, a lot of Bitcoin, a lot of Ethereum, and then scatter throughout the top like 30, 40, 50 um, to build out a proper portfolio that's kind of risk adverse, but also gives me some upside. So if you're in some of these little, you know, crap coins, for lack of a better term, um, it will be hard. But th those people, I think if they got into those, they knew the risks. And if not, I mean, it's a learning risk. We have this every time we start a business. We call, I always call them learning costs. If you lost $5,000 because you put it all into Dogecoin, right? Make sure that you get $5,000 worth of knowledge from that decision. You know, what could you have done better? Could you have researched better? Could you have, you know, taken some time to talk to different people? Could you have watched something else? You know, what could you have done? And I think you can learn from it and you can make that money back. It's when people put their money and they don't learn from those mistakes that they kind of are doomed to repeat it. You know, like if I put my money in Doge, there was a time where I would have probably made 10 times as much as I made on my Bitcoin, right? But to me, it doesn't fit my personal strategy. And I know that over years of investing. So for me, I'm much, much more risk adverse. I would rather get some of the big ones and slowly make money over the next three, five, 10 years. Not everyone can do that, nor is that everyone's plan. Um, but as far as the big companies, I'm not really too worried. Um, as far as some of the little currencies and projects, um, I think everyone should be worried. You know, it, it's really these projects are mostly based, in my opinion, how I look at them is, is you know, how many users are actually using it. Like when you see Ethereum doing insane amounts of transactions with a large user base, that means something to me. 
you know, versus Avalanche or Solana, things like that. So you kind of have to diversify in different ways. But look, of all the things you can invest in, crypto is inherently the most risky. Regardless, even if you have Bitcoin, which is deemed the least risky, Bitcoin is still riskier than almost every single company in the S&P 500, right? So even if the number one crypto is still the number 501 stock. And that's how you kind of have to look at these is, you know, I have a lot of money in stocks, so I wanted to diversify something a little bit riskier, but something I still liked, but I still chose near the top end of the least risky. Um, I did buy one coin that pumped like crazy in like a five-day window called Shopping.io, but $500 in, I think within a few days, it was worth like two grand. Um, I thought it would just keep going. I liked the project. It was to be able to buy products online and get discounts if you used crypto. Um, and it was a great idea, but I, first off, I tried using it. This was my first red flag. I tried using it and I'm pretty tech savvy and I had trouble. So that to me should have, was a red flag that I kind of skated through because at that point the price was still going up. Um, but long story short, I think my $500 is probably worth $20 for them. Um, and it's the one that I have almost no faith that it ever comes back. But my other ones... Anything that I put 500 is probably maybe down at 180, maybe 150, which with how far the market has fallen, that's kind of right in line with what you would expect when you have these um, kind of crashes historically when you look at Bitcoin over the last few halving periods. But, you know, I always say invest to your risk level, right? Put as much in as you can afford to. And, and if you put it in, assume that you could lose it all. But if you did lose it in some of these crypto things... It, you're probably like me. This was your first time investing into crypto. I can tell you right now, if I would have sold at the top of that market, you know, fingers crossed, I would have made some good money. But I didn't because my plan is still a three to five year plan. Now I look at it, it's not very pretty. And the prices are actually cheaper than when I got in over two years ago to where I'm like, man, what if I waited two years and bought today instead? But it wouldn't have been the same. I wouldn't have learned anything. I learned so much about cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and all this in the last two years, that even though my money is down right now, it's in solid places. And it's in a place where I feel more knowledgeable when I go to invest in other coins. I kind of know what to look for, what I like, what my metrics are. So I think anytime you get into a new asset class like that, you know, you can make a lot, you can lose a lot. But the one thing you're going to do is you're going to learn a lot because it's all brand new to you. So take that, take that little piece you know, people go to college, people spend thousands of dollars on courses, people will spend 10 grand to go to a, a conference, you know, for four days and come home and be excited. And then that excitement wears off, right? You're better off putting your money in different places, watching the market, getting an idea of what is good, what is bad. You know, when someone tells you Bitcoin is up $1,000 today, what does that mean to you? When they say Ethereum is up 50 bucks, like, do you have an idea of, is that a lot? Is that a little? Getting an idea that, you know, 10% swings are rather common in crypto, where in the stock market, it is not, right? So take all of this as a learning experience, and I think it'll be really strong for you, whether you look to continue buying in the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months of a bear market, or if you're not going to do anything until it starts becoming a bull market again. Either way, there's something to learn about going through that cycle once versus, only being able to look at charts and look in the past and see what happened. I think understanding how to emotionally detach yourself from those things can be really helpful, really helpful.
Yeah, I would have to agree with you entirely. I mean, it's uh, it's a complicated mess, and there's a lot of money to be made, but it's still the Wild West. You know, it really is still the Wild West. So, do you think that you're going to be doubling down on some of the big the big players in the next you know year or so, as this market continues to go to to continues to kind of play out, and potentially fall a little bit more? Are you, are you so, seeing still long-term opportunity with uh, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and some of the other altcoins? So I do, and I'm really tempted to just completely double down on all of my positions, right? And just see where that goes. Because right now I'm getting it for like 60 70% off, right? So if you were going to put 30 grand in, now it's only going to cost you 10 grand to double down, right? Which is phenomenal. And your dollar cost average, it, it's phenomenal, the thing I'm in right now is, is there, are there better places to put my money, right? Do I go back traditionally, that, which is where I know more Apple, more Google, more Tesla, more, you know, more traditional companies, or do I stay in this area? And the reason why I go in between is, you know, it's so hard right now for the average person to make money in America, right? It's so hard. This system is built on, on... Wealth preservation, not wealth creation. All right, it's why the wealthy people always stay wealthy and the poor a lot of times stay poor. It's really hard to get get that money. And I think for the average person, if you look at a millennial, you know, maybe 35 and under, if you're really trying to make generational moves when it comes to wealth in a way that could be quicker, crypto is probably the only place that gives you that, I'm going to use the, the word possibility or option, right? Because it's hard. I mean, you could put... 10 grand into Google and Apple and, and spread it out. Your best chance is that as it doubles, right, in five to 10 years, maybe, maybe more, maybe you could triple it. You know, but for Apple to go from a trillion dollar company to two trillion, that's a lot of money, right? But you could put your money into some of these cryptos and maybe Bitcoin 5Xs in that same time, maybe Ethereum 10Xs. You know, they're, they're, and you can go farther down. If you go down to some of those risky coins that some of the listeners on here lost all their money on, right? If that person would have hit, they'd be listening to this episode in a mansion on the beach, right? Where my little investment in Bitcoin ain't going to do anything. It's, I'm not gonna, it's not going to get me there. So there's, it's such a place where you could. You could make so much. And I think that's why I put money there too because... It does. Bitcoin could easily 5x from here, easily hit 100. I have almost no doubt that it'll do that. So it's like I should put it there. But the problem, too, is you hear a lot of people complain about regulation, right? If you're a real investor, you want regulation. The moment regulation hits, your money becomes safer. Big companies get in it. And you don't see market manipulation where... Things are going out of whack, big spikes. Things will start to get more evened out. The little terrible coins will be gone. You won't have to worry about putting your money in, in a bad thing. Because a lot of these cryptos operate like Ponzi schemes when you really step back and look at them. Um, but it's, it's just a crazy time. If if I have like some money set aside, I I could definitely do it. The problem is, is like I said, I'm almost happy to not and be slightly passive, maybe just put more into Bitcoin and Ethereum, to understand, I kind of want to see one full market cycle, you know, and I'll never get the prices good again, you'll never be able to buy the bottom, 
But part of me almost wants to, you know, maybe try to store it up in cash and maybe try to get a, a rental property. More and I keep talking about we're dabbling in real estate now. You know, if why put 10 grand into Bitcoin if I'm, maybe I'm better off trying to save up to 20 grand and putting that into some project, right? Like, so I don't know. I think you kind of have to. Um, but currently, I am not looking to double down. If I did, it would probably be in the next six months. If Bitcoin does, and I don't expect it to, if Bitcoin ever got down to $10, best believe I'm, I'm, I own like almost half a Bitcoin, I think. Um, I, I would definitely want to own one whole Bitcoin. Like I want that so bad to say I own one whole Bitcoin. But like, I don't know, right now it would cost what? 10 G's just to do that like what if I put 10 G's in Ethereum and it 10 X versus 5 X but it's risk you know there, there's so many things I don't know what do you think are you you think you're gonna put more into crypto are you gonna hold you're gonna go back to the stock market what do you think well I personally think that if I were to go invest in the market right in the in the crypto market right now I'd probably throw my money at Bitcoin um, I think it's the probably the the pinnacle of cryptocurrency and I think it's like kind of that background and I think that right now you're right it's it's at a significant discount and you gotta Ethereum. follow the money I mean you gotta follow the money I mean um Gary Ginsler you know the the head of the SEC it was either today or yesterday today's been a wild day it's been very busy um it was either today or yesterday he he pretty much said that the only crypto that is a commodity is bitcoin which this whole thing with the SEC is going on because they're worried about these cryptos being securities and this and that. So much. Look, at the end of the day, follow the money. There's a, there's way too much wealth in Bitcoin right now, whether institutionally, individually. There's so many whales with millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. These people will protect their assets. They can all decide Bitcoin is going to be our digital gold. Thank you. And then we'll figure out these other companies later. Right. And that's kind of what they're doing. So to go into Bitcoin is is very smart at this point because he's kind of signaled that it is the safest. We are not going to come for Bitcoin. We will come for some of the smaller little coins. Um, but we're not really in a business to take out the big players, right? There's, it's going to be too much for them to take out Ethereum because even if the government wants to build stuff or other projects, there's too much built on Ethereum. We can't just shut down. You talk about trying to create jobs. You're going to lose millions of jobs if you get rid of some of these things right so the fact that they made that a commodity makes it a good time to get bitcoin but it is still such a such a wild time but the price is good man i mean i will still buy my average i think on bitcoin is 45 is my average um and i remember being in the car with a buddy of mine and it got down to 30 and i was like dang it's so cheap right now and uh, he bought like an extra thousand just while driving. You know, at that point, I'd already put in enough to where I didn't want to buy back at a lower price because I my, my account was low. I think I bought back in like the next week at like 32, 33. But, you know, part of it right now in my mind is almost like I don't believe we're at the bottom of this market, whether it be crypto or stocks. So I think I'm just going to hold my cash. See, you know, and then if, if that big dip comes, if that, whole, you know, oh my God moment happens, I'm in a good position to buy. But if I hop in now, you know, like how much more can you see your crypto account go to the red, right? 
So, but it's a good time. It's not I, the, you're not going to lose at the most. You would lose fifty percent on your Bitcoin. And if I lost fifty percent more on my Bitcoin from this twenty thousand, then the rest of my portfolio is going to look so sad that I would have been better off not buying it and literally tripling down on my entire portfolio. You know, so. I don't know. I'm going to wait a little bit. I agree with you. I think that there's still some room for it to fall. As much as I hate to say it like that, but it's it's just the truth. I think there's enough speculation, and I think it's going to follow what's, what's going to happen in the stock market, which is still, I believe, a little uh, inflated, and I think will still continue to to be effective net, affected negatively over the next few years. Um, and I think that'll follow. So it'll be really, it'll be a kind of a judgment call for me, but I agree with you. I think it'd be really important to have at least one full Bitcoin, no matter which way you look at it. You never know. Ten years from now, it could be worth a million dollars. But, you know, you might as well have one. Uh, so I, I would agree. I think that, that the idea of putting money into Bitcoin, but waiting a little bit for it to continue to just get adjusted to the market that we're currently seeing would be a valuable thing to do. Yeah, and we uh, talk about the stock market, like you always use the analogy, it's on stilts. Like it feels like it's being propped up. Like they're trying to hold, you know, almost like when you think of uh, like the above ground pools. Like this this thing looks like it's really trying to burst and they're, they're throwing that flex seal tape on there, you know, trying to keep it together. And, and if it does fall, you got to understand that the stocks are going to fall, but crypto will be the first to go. People liquidate their riskiest assets off the bat. So, you know, it's your stocks, you know, while they may be in jeopardy and your account could be down, your crypto will go first. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, if, if all hell does, you know, break loose, you know, like I'm looking right now, Ethereum's at $1,100. I remember... When it was at 4,000. I remember that day. And that's wild to think. That there was a time. You know where it was over 4. It was at. It peaked it looked like. At about 4,800. 4,900 more. In the last 52 weeks. So if it just gets back to it's all time high. You're pretty much going to 5x your money. And that's if it never. Got past it's all time high. It just stagnated at the all time high. You know, like what, 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 what stock are we gonna find that's gonna that has the potential to do that in the next two to three years? Because it's probably not a blue chip that I would invest in. But to me, this is like the closest to a blue chip, but just in a space with more volatility. I mean, you go back to twenty nineteen, for almost two years, uh, Ethereum. Let's see, June one. It was of 2018. It was 400 bucks. Starting in like November, October, it was pretty much a hundred, two hundred dollars. About October 1st, 2018, it was pretty much two hundred dollars all the way until like May of 2020. So for two years, you could have bought it at 200 bucks. You would you'd be five x still right now in the worst moments, right? And then all of a sudden, it skyrocketed all the way up. So there's someone who bought this at 200 bucks, accumulated during the, the bear market, bought all this at 200 and watched their money get all the way to, you know, what is that, a 10x return? Like, that's crazy. More than 10x. Is that a 50x return? Am I stupid? I think that might be right. 
if you do 200 times 50, now it's 10,000. Did it wrong. So 25, 25x return. My God. Who's going to find that? That's truly insane. No, I agree. And that's on the second best crypto. It's the number one blockchain, only behind Bitcoin, which acts as a, you know, reserve, essentially. It's wild. But then you look back, too. Who the hell uses AOL.com, right? Who used some of all these companies? It could be the same thing. You know, did you not get out in time? It's I don't point. know. Bitcoin's probably the only one that I, I truly trust when I look at, like, a macro 10, 15, 20-year investment. Well, it's going to go the distance. It's going to go yeah. the distance. But, you know, if you make a good portfolio, I think mine's, like, 50% Bitcoin. Uh, now it's, it's probably not 50%. Here, I'll tell you right now. I'll give you guys on this podcast the real breakdown for percentages right here. So I have, I know I keep about 25 in alts. So 50% is in Bitcoin. Let's pull the actual percentage. 49% is Bitcoin. 17% is Ethereum. 8% is Cardano. 5% XRP. 3.5% BNB. 2% VeChain. So pretty much 50% is Bitcoin. Almost 25% is Ethereum. Pretty much Ethereum and Cardano make up the second chunk of 25. So those are two blockchains. Um, and then the last 25 is a mix of a bunch of different altcoins. So 50% of, of the big Bitcoin, 25 of actual blockchains like Cardano and Ethereum. And then the other ones, 25% um, of altcoins that are mostly all um, in the top 50 um, for the most part. Most would be even top 20, top 10. I do have like one or two, I think, that's like 32 and one's at like 40-something. Um, but that just gives you an idea of like how I'm setting mine up. So like even now, my account isn't hurt as much as other people because 50% of it was in Bitcoin, right? If most of my money was in Cardano and things like that, it would be it would be down even more. So, you know, just you got to understand how your risk level is. More and I have very similar risk tolerances in a lot of ways, but we also have friends and family that will really turn that dial all the way up. And that's fine. Do what you want. But it just doesn't fit how we choose to invest. So when you have hard times like this, stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. If you're somebody, and we said this last episode, I believe, you know, if you're someone that's consistently putting money into an S&P index or even maybe be Bitcoin, because I had that automatically buying every week for a while, which I was doing it when the money was high. Why am I not doing it now, right? So same kind of logic. Um, you just have to stick to your plan and your strategy and don't get emotional. I could care less right now when the market keeps crashing. The only problem I'm having is do I buy more? And that's not from an ego perspective. That's not having hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. But it is believing in what you invest in, understanding why you picked that investment, how long you plan for it to go, and then just sticking with it. You know, there are going to be losers along the way. That's why we invest in multiple companies and projects at the same time. We don't put all our eggs in one basket. It's to protect you in times like this. So be smart, stick to your plan, understand how the market works when we look at if everything goes bad, you know, where's the first place to drop off a cliff? Right now, that's crypto. Um, and use it to your advantage, you know? Understand the timing. Next time we're in a bull run with, with crypto, don't get too greedy if you're planning on getting out. I didn't know where the top was. I would have thought we would have kept going. I was wrong, you know? So it's like, 
just learn. Just continue to learn because you're going to be in so many more bull markets, whether it be stocks or crypto or housing, whatever. Start to look at how market cycles work. I think you'll learn a lot just from what's happening because it'll repeat. It always does. So just understand and be ready. Great advice. And with that being said, I think maybe moving into the book? Let's do it. So this week, guys, we read a book about the markets. Uh, it's called The Little Book That Beats the Market by Joel Greenblatt. Uh, sounds like a good Jewish man, a fellow tribesman like me. Uh, and this was a really solid short book. Really, really solid short book. Four-hour read, 10,000-foot uh, view. This is a book about a magic formula. Uh, it really, he drills home this magic formula and, uh, it seems really pretty straightforward. I mean, for the most part, it's about how much money does the company make? Is it consistently growing? And, uh, you know, are they making money? Are they, are they profitable? Um, you know, so it's, uh, what was it? Earnings yield and, uh, return on capital, right? Uh, Rossi? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, really, keep it simple. Two, two, two factors to take a look at, and then average out. You know, and depending on your level of, um, you know, of competency and understanding risk and understanding a business and being able to dive into the financials and the fundamentals to understand the value of it uh, of a business in the marketplace, diversify more or less. You know, the more the less you the 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 better you are, the less you need to diversify. Right. So. Um, I thought it was really straightforward. I think it was super valuable, and I quite enjoyed the book. What did you think, Ross? I did too. I thought it was nice. It was quick. It was rather basic, which was good. Um, it did hammer, you know, the magic formula for pretty much the whole thing. But I thought it, it you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I think it gives. I would say definitely somebody more on the beginner's end. Um a good idea of how things are working. I Like I said, it's kind of what we talked about, where he talked about diversifying that you should own, you know, 20 to 30 large company stocks at a time. And I think that alone, if you take anything from the book, is the best advice. You know, like, I always give advice. I like to pick these top companies. But the other thing, too, and more has heard me give this advice to people, is pick companies you like, right? If, if you open your closet and all you see is Nike or Puma or Reebok, Instead of buying their physical product, maybe buy some of their company, right? You know, start to look at things that you use. I really like investing in products that I use myself because I can understand the value and I understand the competition because I, you know, when I shop for something, I'm sure many of the listeners are the same way. When I shop for something, I'm, I'm looking at everything. How many stars did it get? You know, is, there's this brand, there's this other brand, there's this and that. There's a million things, right? So you have a good idea of what's out there. And you're understanding what makes you want to pay for this product versus another one. And a lot of times what you're looking at are some of these big top 20, top 30 companies, these S&P 500 companies. So I think that's a great place for someone to start. Because right now you could be like the market's terrible. But I can tell you right now in five years, people are still going to be buying Nike shoes. Maybe look to buy some Nike stock, right? Look at things that way. Start to look to acquire assets versus spending money on different things, right? At the end of the day... It doesn't really matter if you have the freshest pair of J's, but you could have $10,000 in stock, you know, in Jordan, and that could be massive. So it's, I think it's just looking at what you want to buy and start switching, you know, from liabilities to assets. Because every wealthy person in America, the ones that we, we talk about when it comes to wealth inequality and all these different issues, they're going to be buying up right now when everything is cheap, whether it be property, real estate, crypto, they're buying all of it. 
and they're going to wait for everyone to continue panic selling on the way down, and then they're just going to cash out when the bull market comes back because they have more experience. They've seen this happen time and time again. We, we haven't. We're younger. Um, I think for me, like I said, big takeaway, diversify your money, do your research. It really talks about understanding that um, and realize that the stock market itself is emotional. Right? Just because the stock went up or down doesn't mean the company's any better or worse. Sometimes it's overvalued. Sometimes it's undervalued. But anything you do in life, if you can get fair value, whether it be stocks, crypto, something on offer ups, anywhere, fair value is all you need. Don't look for the discount. If you get the discount, great. But if you get stuff for fair value, that's good. And that'll get you a long way. Yeah, that's really reasonable. And I think that's those are some great great takeaways. Um, I think what you said about a company not being worth a massive spread between one part of the year and the next part of the year because the market is emotional. I think that's a really big takeaway. Um, You know, I like the way that he describes it as a person almost, right? He personifies it and it really makes sense because it's 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 a reflection of all the people that are investing in the asset right like it really isn't a, a person because it's a it's a cluster a group of people that and people are predictable right so as things change you know there 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 will be massive shifts because emotions are for the most part predictable if something bad happens people get sad or depressed or angry or worried and they pull their money out if something good happens and things get exciting and pushed forward and you know things go up Right, it's it's part of part of life, part of humanity, part of who we are, and an extension of our money. Right, like it, it's it's directly connected and correlated to our money and how our economies shift based on how we feel. It's quite interesting, but uh, you know, I think that's a really big takeaway to understand, and also a big reason why the concept of what which something I've said on this podcast many times, the Warren Buffett concept, when others are greedy, be fearful, and when others are fearful, be greedy, right, is the idea is that do what's opposite to the emotion because most people f- function off emotion. And if you can do the opposite, then you can usually take advantage of the things that other people are not able to because they can't see past their emotion, right? And it is truly amazing how even something as complex and convoluted and and linear uh, all at the same time as finance, right, can be so emotional and connected and, you know, uh, correlated to the people and how they feel. So I think that was a really amazing takeaway. I think it was a really um, powerful thing to learn for someone that might be newer to the markets or even someone that's like an intermediate or, or advanced trade like uh, investor or trader right this concept of uh, emotion or um, fluctuation in the markets and how it's a constant uh, and something to, to, to always keep in mind uh, in your strategy and I think another yeah. big thing is that he mentions that it's really important that because of this emotional, you know, roller coaster that is the markets, you have to really be disciplined to follow your plan. Yeah, and I think, you know, you got to understand too, look look how down all these companies are. And it's not like Facebook, Google, anyone has gotten worse, right? But it's the interest rates have gone up because all of these 
market values are based off of the future value, right? So to take in what is the present times whatever your interest rate is, pulling that in, this is the amount it's worth. So when the interest rate goes up, the company is now worth less to get to that same value. So all these things are coming down because of interest rates, because of inflation, right? They are not coming out any worse. If anything, these companies, these top 10, you know, these blue chip companies are the ones that are going to be able to make it through these recessions better than anyone, right? They have the largest staffs. They have the most resources. They're probably running the most efficient right now versus a company with, you know, 500 people that is still big enough that, you know, it can't run completely lean, but it's still small enough to where, you know, you, you're laying off people that have been with the company maybe for five, 10 years, right? It, so it's these companies are that are struggling, they're not struggling inherently, right? It, it, the entire market is having difficulty. So some of these top blue chip companies will be back. There will be no doubt about it. So I think it's just understanding, like we said, sticking with your plan, but that just puts the perspective of the market, I think, or the marketing perspective of what's going on and just don't be emotional. Yeah. So final thoughts for me, um, valuable book, short read, easy thing to read on like a, a flight or something. Um, you know, this book has sold a lot of copies. It's done really, really well and been multiply pr uh, produced on multiple occasions. Like it's a, it's a, it's a good book and it's, uh, I definitely think worth the read. Ross, what final thoughts? Yeah, same thing. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good book. Not one of the best of all time, um, but good, pretty solid, um, really nice, especially if you're kind of more on the beginner side of investing. I think there's a lot of good stuff. Even if you're intermediate, there's a lot of good things in there. Um, I thought it was great, honestly. It was it was real easy and, you know, it was written and narrated well, which I think was really nice. It made that kind of fly by a little bit better. Agreed. My name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Anarelli. This is the Market Today podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us for yet another week, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.